I may have forgotten to mention earlier that the DeLon lecture is at 7 p.m. Um, tonight in Cork Baptist Church. I don't know if I mentioned the time. So. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Epaphrites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud. And they said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Arpach kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women explained, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, 
but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Lord, we thank you for this word. We pray for Gary as he comes um, to explain it to us and to apply it to our lives. Please empower him by your spirit to do that effectively now. And Lord, incline our hearts and our ears that we may hear, receive, and put into practice your word. Amen. Amen. It, uh, it's good to be with you again this morning for uh, Ruth, take two. We're in the, the, the second in our series. And I, I wonder if you, you know what it feels like to be alone, to be, to be lost at sea, to feel that you are devoid of help. There's, there's nothing that can, um, can reach you, nothing that can help you. It's you, you're all alone. Maybe you're, you're at school. Maybe uh, you've been uh, the, the, the brunt of the, of the bullying that day and you feel alone. Maybe you've uh, lost a, a contract at work and, and you, you feel that, it, that it's your fault and you have that sense of aloneness or isolation. Um, uh, I suppose over the weeks you will find that uh, I have a, a love for popular music. And uh, so Neil Diamond, he had a thought also about this um, and uh, so he, he wrote this song and he said, LA's fine and the sun shines most of the time and the feeling is laid back. Palm trees grow and the rents are low. But you know, I keep thinking about making my way back. He says, well, I'm New York City, born and raised, but nowadays I'm lost between two shores. LA's fine, but it ain't home. But New York's home, but it ain't mine. No more. And he goes on to say that... Uh, the song I am, I said, if you know the song. And I said it to no one there, and no one heard at all, not even the chair. He is alone. He feels alone in this world. And I think right here in this text, this is how Naomi feels. It's not clear, but in, in verse 5, where it says, and Naomi was left without her husband and her two sons. The actual... Uh, uh, the Hebrew text doesn't say the, the word Naomi. It's put in there for, for our information, helpfully by the NIV, to identify Naomi. But actually it says, and the woman was left. It doesn't even name her. She's left. She's there. She's alone. She's left. Can we get into the emotion of that? There we have. We're looking at how is God merciful to us in, in, in that instance? She's there. She's alone. She's lost literally everything. She's lost her livelihood. We remember last week that she had, uh, you know, women in that culture, they, they, they needed their male providers, their male protectors. And in that culture, without a man, she was destitute. She was facing poverty. She was facing a life of hardship.
Ah, there we go. And so we can think of uh, two questions. Had a little uh, fight with the controller there. Must have hit the wrong button. Um, so where do we, we turn to when we've got nowhere else to go? When trouble comes into your life, what's your, your first port of call? Where, where do you go? Where do you turn to when you're in that, that state, when you need a helping hand? Where, where do you go to? And so we find that here in uh, the first couple of verses, in verses 6 to 7. Let's, let's look at them together. And we look at Naomi's empty return. And she's leaving, she's decided to leave this place of judgment. It's a place, it's a, you know, we, we read in the text, she's saying that she feels that God is against her. Somehow she is attributing her, her current state of losing her sons as an act of God. And where is she? Why, why should she feel that way? Remember that she's in Moab. And we have to remember, what, what, what is Moab? What, what does Moab mean in this story? Well, Moab, obviously, is, is the place of God's enemies. It's where God's enemies reside. They worship false gods. They sacrifice their children to idols. In history with Israel, they have... Um, you know, they, they are the result of an incestuous event between Lot and his daughter. They're the offspring of Lot and his daughter. We read in Numbers 22 that the king of Moab actually tried to get the prophet Balaam to, to curse Israel. So there is no love lost between these two groups of people. And in Numbers 25, actually the, the, the ladies of Moab have, have brought the, the men of Israel into, into sexual sin and they, they started worshipping idols rather than God. And in this time period here, and in Judges 3, 12 to 14, the Moabites have inflicted 18 years of pain and punishment on the Jewish people in Israel. So of all the places that Elimelech decided to take his family and to take Naomi, Moab seems a very strange location. It seems a very strange place to have gone. And where did she leave? She had left the people of God. She had left the promises of God. She had left the covenant of God. She had left the worship of the true and living God. And she had left God's promises. And so she decides through this event that she's now going to leave this place, this place that has, in the beginning, had such promise. She left a famine in Bethlehem. She went to Moab seeking food, and all that she's got is death and disaster. And that's where we left Naomi last week. And so she's decided to turn to the place of mercy. And there are three ladies involved. There is Naomi and Orpah and Ruth, the daughters-in-law. And they've decided to leave the place of Moab and they're setting out on a road. They're setting out on a journey. And they're turning towards a new home. For Naomi, it's returning home. But for these two young Moabite ladies, they're facing an uncertain future. They're three widows. They're alone, they have no male protector, and they're going to make a journey on their own, which is dangerous in itself, and they're heading back to a place of mercy. And why is it a place of mercy? Well, we learn that from the text. It's because God has had mercy on his people. 
It says, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people. Um, the word there means visited. He, he's come around them. It also um, can be used in a negative term that the Lord has come to visit his people in, in judgment or chastisement. But here, it's quite clear that whether or not Israel has, has repented, God has shown grace to them and he has come and visited to them and that he has brought food. He's brought bread again to Bethlehem. And as uh, we were looking in, in home groups uh, on Wednesday, the word Bethlehem it literally means house of bread. And God was stocking up, if you like, the house. He was refilling the house of bread. And so God had visited his people. And the thought from Naomi is, well, if God has blessed them, maybe I can go back there. Maybe God can bless me. Maybe I might be able to have some of that bread. In the law, it says that the, the children of Israel are to look after their widows. So maybe I can leave Moab, I can return home, and I will find grace and mercy at home. But she's empty. She has nothing. She went away full, and she's now heading back. And so they head off on the road. And we have a, what I'm calling a, a crisis of faith. The, you know, we all start off on a journey and we all think, yeah, you know, we're going to climb that mountain. You know, we're going we're gonna to start off with a couch to 5K and we're going to make that distance. You know, we all start off with, with good intentions. And then somewhere, you know, about week three, we realize what we've committed ourselves to. We realize, you know, I have to come back here three times a week, you know, for the next and we suddenly count the cost of what it is that we've agreed to do whether it's running around a park climbing a mountain in this case it's making a journey a moving an immigration from one place to another and so we have a misplaced faith I think it's interesting that we have a person after such loss she still has faith in her God she still has faith in the God of Israel. Naomi, setting out on that trip, she has faith. But what happens? Suddenly, as they're walking along, Naomi decides, do you know what I've asked of these two girls? I've asked too much. I've asked too much from these two girls. You know, maybe God could, could bless them in Moab. Maybe that's best. She decides that those two girls coming with her to Israel is just too much to ask. And so that ensues, this, this conversation that we're going to look at here um, at the majority of this morning, this conversation between Orpah, Ruth, and Naomi. And so we look at that and we find that here and then in verse 8. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. So she's got a very logical response. She's saying, thank you very much, but I'm, I'm setting you free. You don't have to show any loyalty to me. I want you to go back to your mother's home. I want you to be free to marry again. I want you free to have a life. And in that, she's showing us a glimpse of her own heart and her own grief. She's saying, there is no future with me. Don't come with me. There's only heartache. There's only heartbreak. 
There's no future with me. And so she's urging them to go back, and they, they have a response. And she says in, uh, in verse 10, we look, and said to her, we will go back with you and your people. It's a good response. The, the ladies uh, are, are, are have resolve, and they say, no, Naomi, we're, we're not going to go back. We're going to go with you and your people. But in some ways in this response, they've, they've only gone so far. And later we'll see that Ruth wants to go just that little bit further. They're encouraged. They say, no, Naomi, we're not going to leave you. We know it's tough, but we're going to hang in there. And you know, sometimes we, we also look for what I'm going to call looking for the DIY solution. You know, the, the do-it-yourself, it's the cheaper option. Shall I get someone to paint my house? No, I'm going to go to B&Q, and I'm going to buy the paint, and I'm going to do it myself. And so Naomi is looking at herself, and she's thinking, how can I solve this problem? What am I going to do? And so she has another logical argument. And she says, return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. And even if I th- thought that there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then give birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? And so she's using all of her argument, argumentative skills, all of her logic, and she's saying, look, there's nothing here for you. I cannot help you. At this point, we need to, to understand a little bit about the custom. And the custom of, of marriage, um, if you were married and you had a brother and he was not married and you died and your wife and you had had no children, well then the custom was, and in, in Deuteronomy 25, 5:10, the, the custom was then that your, your brother would marry your wife and he would marry the widow and then the first child from that marriage then would be considered the, the child of the dead brother and so that his name and his inheritance would continue and so this is what's going on in the background of her her mind this is she's saying even if i got a man tonight and even if we manage to conceive tonight it's going to be another 18 years until there's a son who's able to to marry you are you pair going to hang around that long are you going to do without a husband for the next 16, 18 years? And even then, what age will you be? Are you going to be past childbearing by the time there's an old enough son? She's saying, naturally speaking, this is a hopeless situation. Hopeless. And this highlights Naomi's loss even further. It highlights that she's saying, look, Look, girls, it's over for me. I've lost my inheritance. I've lost my family. I've lost my name. I've lost everything. Please go back. And so what happens? Well, as we see in the text, we read on. It says, Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight, and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? 
No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. And at this, they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. And so Orpah, I can't be too hard on her. She's going back. She's, she's, she's bought the argument. She says, do you know what, Naomi? I think you're right. I'm going to be an obedient daughter-in-law and I'm going to do what you ask. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to my mother's house. I'm going to trust, hopefully, that, that God will bless me in Moab. And so she kisses her mum-in-law for the, the last time and she sets off back down the dusty road alone, heading towards Moab. And this isn't without emotion. We can read that there's loud wailing, there's crying, there's kissing, embracing. This is an emotional mess. I've seen those, uh, you know, goodbyes and coming home. My son, he, he was in America for, for four weeks. And, uh, you know, when kids are there, teenagers are four weeks. On the day that they had to come home from America, and they'd lived there, you know, for four whole weeks. They were in tears. You know, they had a day of, you know, how to cope with going home, you know. <laughs> it's like, come on, guys. And four weeks, and they were in tears. The girls were in tears. The girls that had found new boys and the boys that had found new girls, transatlantic relationships via, you know, text message, and they were all brokenhearted and in tears. But this is way worse. This is a decade of life together. This is going through grief. This is, this is them sharing in the bereavement, throwing the, the soil on the coffin of their loved ones. And so this isn't a light decision that Orpah makes, but she makes it nonetheless and she decides to go back. But Ruth, this narrative is, is wonderful because of this lady Ruth. Ruth's response is startling on any, any kind of scale. Despite knowing that the future ahead is bleak, despite knowing that it doesn't look good, her response is outstanding. Let's read together what she says. It says, but Ruth, but Ruth, clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, this is, this is amazing. She said, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried and may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Wow. She says, I don't care. I'm going with you, Naomi. But more than that, I'm going with you and there's nothing's going to stop me, not even death, from being with you and being your daughter-in-law. I'm going to be there. And even when you die, even when you're buried, I'm going to stay in your land with your people and your God, and I'm going to die there also. No matter what the cost, 
Wow. I don't know about you, but when I, when I read this, it's, it's charged with emotion. It's charged with just an, 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 the amazing pro- prospect that she knows she's a Moabite. But there are a few questions that I have, a few questions that I, I would like to, to have answered. She's clinging to Naomi. But what did she know about God? What did she know about the God of Israel? What had she learned in the ten years of being with Naomi about the God of Israel? What had she learned that made her so determined to stay? And you can't say that she had witnessed great blessing. You can't say that she had witnessed, um, you know, an abundance of a joy-filled life. She had witnessed Naomi through pain and through suffering. One Peter three fifteen it tells us to always be ready to give an account for the hope that we have. And I think this this situation here it 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 says something to us that that God can speak to people. God can speak to people out of our pain. God can speak to people out of our bad situation, because despite the bleak situation, Ruth wanted to choose Yahweh, the God of Israel, over. The Moabite gods. What had she learned that child sacrifice? The God of Israel doesn't like that. I like that about this Yahweh, this, this God of Israel. Yahweh being the, the, one of the Old Testament names for God, the covenant name of God. What had she learned that she decided that this God, it's better than my family. It's better than everything that's familiar to me. It's better than my security. It's better than my possibility of gaining a new husband. It's better than. It's better than. It's better than. That was what was running through Ruth's mind. She didn't want to let Naomi go because she didn't want to let Naomi's God go. And so in that, Ruth reaches towards the mercy of God. She, she says, no matter how bad it's going to be in Israel, I think it's going to be better for me there than it is going back to Moab. And she reaches and she clings to Naomi and she clings to mercy. Ruth replied, don't don't urge me to go back. I want your God to be my God. And I wonder this morning, in Ruth's conversion, because that's what she was doing here. She was converting. She was saying, I, I don't want to be a Moabite. I want to be an Israelite. I wonder if you could say that this morning. Maybe you call yourself a Christian. Maybe you, you don't know what a Christian is. Maybe this is your first time in the church. But really, as Christians, we should be able to say this. We should be able to say to Jesus, I'm committed to you through thick and thin. Where you go, I will go. What you do, I will do. Whom you love, I will love. I am with you, not only in death, but through death. Could we say that this morning about our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that no matter where you go, Lord, no matter where you take me, no matter what you do, no matter who you love, I'm all in, I'm all the way. Till death do us part. And so they're going to to return. 
and they're going to return back then to Bethlehem. And so the story closes then in this chapter with uh, a return. They're returning to mercy. They're returning to the promised land. And so what happens on the return? Well, if you live in a small town, you know that uh, gossip travels faster than air. It travels faster, you know, than the speed of light. I was uh, chatting to, to Ross, and he was saying, you know, there, there are not too many uh, northerners down in Cork. You know, you don't see too many number plates. So maybe that means, you know, my, my red car driving around here, people are, you know, oh, they notice. And if they don't notice your car, when you open your mouth, you know, when you go into the supermarket, they say, you're not from around here. Yeah, you're different. And so the prospect of that is, is in, in Ruth. She's going to face all of that. But so is Naomi, and so the buzz and the gossip of the small town, it's there. It's, and they ask the question, the ladies are saying, is this Naomi? Let's read it together. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem, and when they have arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred. There was a noise. There was a buzz. And because of them, and the woman exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Is it her? Is it really her? She left over a decade ago. It looks like her. Oh boy, but the years haven't been good to her. She went away. She was, uh, you know, she was the wife of Elimelech. She had two little boys, but here she is. She's alone, and she has, who's that? Who's that? Moabite. Who's that girl that's with her? Oh, maybe somebody should go and ask her. And she overhears this, or someone builds up the courage, and they say, you know, can this be Naomi? And she said, don't call me Naomi. You see, what's in a name? My name is Gary James Richmond. I I was named by my father, and my dad is Henry John Richmond. And for many years I cried, and I said, why didn't you call me John Henry? Because my brother's called John Henry and I'm not called after you. And I, and I cried because I had a different name for my dad and my brother. That's what children do. We're agents. <laughs> and my dad would remind me of this. He used to cry. Oh, why did you not call me? And, uh, you know. And, um, but Naomi, she's rejecting all of that. She's saying, God is against me so much that I want a change of name. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Because her name, Naomi, it means sweet. What's in a name? She's saying, I don't have that identity anymore. I'm not that person anymore. See, in the beginning in chapter 1, we started off with a flurry of names. We started off with Elimelech, Malon, Kilion. You know, what does name mean? You know, if you have a new baby and you name it, It's all the promise, all the promise of life, all the promise of what lies before them, all the promise of what lies in the future. But here, Naomi, she's taking on a new name and she's saying, I've lost everything. All I am is bitter. It's disappointment. She's believing that God is against her. And she she owns up, she fesses up to her own mistakes. And she owns up in that she has this statement in, in Ruth 1.21 where she says, I went away full. 
It was my decision to go to Moab. Whether she was coerced by her husband, whatever the reason was that took her to Moab, she owns it and she said, no, it was me. I went. But the Lord, in his dealings with me, he's brought me back. He's brought me back here and I've come back empty. Just call me bitter. And that's where we we leave Naomi today. She owned her bad choices. But she's missing out. What can she not see? Well, she can't see that she has Ruth. She can't see the promise. She can't see the future. She can't see the mercy of God. And that Ruth has come back with her. She can't even see the possibility of what God might do through Ruth. And uh, that's for next week. So if you're really encouraged, please come back. But the mercy of God is there in that Ruth has, has come with her. Ruth has claimed her God. But here she's still known as Ruth the Moabite. She still has that, that stigma of coming from another place. And so all that Naomi's fears has come true, she's not being necessarily accepted by the people. She's there. But she's there as the outsider. She's there as the foreigner. She's there as that lady, the Moabite, that has come with Naomi. Ruth, the Moabite. We read that in the text. Do call me, Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And so Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law. And they're arriving in Bethlehem, just as the barley harvest was beginning. You see, we have a harvest of mercy. God's timing is perfect. God could have brought them back at any time, but he's brought them back at harvest time. If he had brought them back after the harvest, all the food would have been collected, and there was no prospect of them sharing in the harvest. But God has brought them back at the right time to share in the harvest. Um, if you were at home group, you would have... Uh, read this, I stole this from from my notes, um, so I'm going to read it out. Bethlehem, the house of bread, was being full of bread. But this morning, we haven't come here this morning to to think about Bethlehem in itself. We've come here to, to think about the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus exclaimed in John 6, 35, he said, I am the bread of life. And Jesus is greater than a town full of food. Jesus is the very source of all life and the creator of all things. Through his death, we can share in that life together with us, with him for all eternity. You see, lacking food is serious. And hunger and famine, well, they destroy many lives. But how more devastating it is if you don't know Christ. To not know Christ is far worse than not having any bread. How terrible it is to be hungry and not know where to find bread. If you know Christ this morning, you know where to find bread. We have the bread of life. If you don't know Christ this morning, I can tell you where to fill your hunger. And your hunger won't be filled in the philosophies of the world. It won't be filled on television. It won't be filled by the lottery. It won't be filled by Tesco. Because all of those things of this world are home of only a temporary f- filling. 
but Christ can fill you for all eternity. Christ has bread that lasts forever. He is the bread of life. So I'd like to leave you with an invitation to come. To come to Christ. Come to the bread of life. I'll just read them out for you. The PowerPoint seems to, to not like me anymore. Um, Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, Come. Jesus was calling back Naomi and Ruth. He was bringing them back to Bethlehem. He was saying, Come. It's harvest time. There's food in Bethlehem. Jesus is beckoning you to come. Last week we, we thought about the, the prodigal son who had, had stayed in the far off country and then he decided that he would turn, return home. And so if you, that's you, you're living in the far off country or you're, you're living in Moab, the blessing and the mercy of God is saying to you this morning to come, to come home. To come home because Christ has paid a costly price so that you can do that. He died on the cross. He took away our sin. He took our punishment so that we can come home, so that we could partake of the bread of life. Amen. Let us pray together. Father God, we thank you for the lives of Naomi and Ruth. Lord, we thank you for Ruth's statement in the center of this chapter, the turning point. Lord, we thank you that she said, no, I'm not going back to Moab. I'm going to Bethlehem. And I want you to be my God. I want your people to be my people. And Lord, this morning, if there's someone here and they they haven't said that, Lord, I pray that now as we pray together that they would say, I want you to be my God. I want the Lord Jesus Christ, to, to come into my life. Lord, if there's a, a prodigal here this morning, or, Lord, we're just feeling far away from, from you, Lord, that we would, we would again turn from our sin, that we would set our face towards you, and that we would come home. Lord, be with us the rest of the day. Lord, would you bless the lecture this evening. And Lord, would you be with us as we we go out into to Carrick line. And Lord, would you help us to share Christ with others, the bread of life. In Jesus' name, amen.